Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'd love for you to get a physical Bible, or you could open up your uh, cell phone and your Bible apps, but try not to open up Facebook during this time. Um, But I would really love for you to go with me to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. And while you're going there, um, I actually just want to share with you something. Now, some of you watching might be a little too young for this, but we used to, believe it or not, purchase CDs. CDs. And um, not only did we purchase these things called CDs, but we went to these places called stores, which before the shelter in place, I think we kind of had a vague idea what a store is, but now I'm not quite sure. We really even know what a store is anymore. But we used to purchase CDs from actual stores. Uh, And if you're out there and you used to actually go to a store to buy CDs, you remember some of the stores that you went to, Rasputin's. uh, Some of us might have went to, uh, Kat said Sam Goody. Um, And how about this, Towered Record. Y'all remember Tower Record? We would definitely go there to get our CDs. And if you went shopping at these stores to purchase a CD and you were going through your CDs and, and if you were like me, you were, you know, you were into hip hop or you were into CDs that maybe carry a certain type of uh, explicit nature to it. Uh, when you were thumbing through the CDs, you might be used to seeing a, a warning label that looked a little something like this. Y'all see that? parental advisory, explicit content. In fact, some of you are looking at that warning label right now. It's bringing back a little nostalgia. You remember sifting through CDs and seeing those warning labels. Well, this warning, it it meant that what you're about to listen to inside of this CD uh, would be explicit, uh, offensive, and definitely not suitable for children. And if Psalm 137 was a CD, that warning would be on Psalm 137. You see, of all of the beautiful, poetic psalms in Scripture, Psalm 137 is just one of those psalms that nobody likes. It's literally been called a hate psalm because of its tone. This is not a psalm of joy. This is not a psalm of thanksgiving. It's an imprecatory psalm because the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, invokes judgment upon his enemies. If psalms were written to be recited and sung and prayed out loud in church gatherings, this psalm was surely the most awkward and difficult psalm to say out loud. In fact, in the 80s, the Anglican church declared that portions of this psalm could be removed from their liturgy because it was just too real and too raw and too unsavory to speak out loud. Yet, here this psalm is somehow included in the sacred text that we call God's word. And so if you're there, Let's read this dangerous psalm that nobody likes together. Psalm 137, 
verse 1 through 9, reads like this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our leers, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the root of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. And here's the difficult part. Are you ready? Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against a rock. Wow. This is literally God's word, yet so raw, so explicit, and so Offensive. What, what did we just read? Why would God include a psalm like this in his holy text? And, and why am I, what am I thinking, preaching a text to you like this today? Let me tell you why. And I want you to pay close attention to this. In our pursuit of comfort, I am afraid that the church has failed to make space in our theology for moments and even seasons of tears. No wonder why we neglect to our detriment psalms like this, yet these psalms help the church find words to express our faith when we suffer. I gotta be honest with you this morning. In the last three months, Sheltering in place, COVID-19, social unrest. These have been some of the most difficult days of my life and my leadership. In fact, it's really interesting because nowadays when people come up to me and they say, hey, Phil, how are you doing? <laughs> it's such a loaded question. Like I know they're, they're being kind and, and, and that's the right thing to say, but I almost, I almost want to just say good so that they would just walk away because the reality is this, is that there have been a lot of times in this season that I've simply not been good. I've been uncomfortable, guys. This has been uncomfortable for me. During this pandemic, there have been things inside of me that have been surfacing that, to be honest with you, I never knew existed. In fact, I might have known that there existed, but I've never stood still long enough to actually face those things that are inside of me. I never thought that I had deep anxiety. I never thought that I would battle mentally. But during this time, these things have been exposed in my life, and it has been so uncomfortable. And I'm going to be honest with you, I prayed in the beginning of this pandemic. I would go out and process with the Lord, and I would begin to pray for comfort. But here's what I realized. There are some times in some seasons, God allows us to stay in our discomfort. And it feels cruel. 
And it feels like you want to escape it. In fact, when you tell people, it's funny, from now on, people ask me, how are you doing? I just explain to them, look, I'm not good. I'm not bad. To be honest, I'm okay. Because sometimes I'm not okay. Sometimes I'm okay. And that's the best way to define my feeling right now is I'm okay. And as much as I want to speed past discomfort and move towards comfort, I believe God wants to reveal things to me now that I would have never seen before had I not had to stop, stand still, and deal with some of these things that I even know were inside of me. So as we get into today's message, I I just want to maybe comfort you in your uncomfortable place with these key words. Man of God, woman of God, believer of Jesus Christ who's listening to me right now, sometimes it's okay not to be okay. Sometimes it's okay not to be okay. Let's pray. Father, I need you. We need you. I have no doubt that this word is not just for me, but it is for those that are listening. I pray, Lord God, that you would anoint me, God. I pray that even though we're watching through screens, Holy Spirit, you are there with those who are hurting. You are there with those who are uncomfortable. You are there who, with those who are battling moments and seasons of depression, anxiety, pain and discomfort. Lord, you are there. I pray that your word would speak to them. And I pray if there's other people that are watching that maybe are not in a season of anxiety, maybe they're feeling great during this time. I pray that this message would educate them as they minister to others in this season. Anoint me. Speak to your people. We need you. I need you like never before. I love you, Jesus. Amen. There are two points from this psalm that I want to launch from today. And the first point is the location of this psalm. And the second point is the question of this psalm. So let's look at the location of this psalm. This psalm has been referred to as a tale of two cities. As we see in this psalm, God's people remembering Zion, but exiled in Babylon. And the psalmist actually begins the psalm so sweet. Did you catch that? He says, by the waters. I don't know about you, but I love being by the waters. It's a serene setting. It's a place of peace and reflection. In fact, during this pandemic, I've seen many of you retreat to the waters. I've seen your Facebook and your Instagram, and sometimes you've just been sheltered in place for so long, you need to get out. And I've seen day trips to the beach, coastal drives with ocean views, hikes culminating with waterfalls. And so this psalm, it starts out so beautiful. We anticipate beauty until we realize where these waters are, until we realize the location of these waters. You see, this is not the Jordan River or the Kidron Brook running through Jerusalem. This is not the still waters of Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. These are not the streams in the desert of Isaiah 43. No, these are the bitter waters of Babylon. And this is the place where God's people weep. 
And if there's anything, and if there's anything I've been learning personally in this season, it's this. If you want to know why people are weeping, if you want to know why people are hurting, you have to be quiet and listen and sit and hear their story. And so, why are the people of God weeping in this time? You see, for 70 years, the people of Judah had known nothing but war and Babylonian captivity. They are not in Jerusalem. They are in a foreign land. Women, Jerusalem had been sieged, surrounded. And I don't know if you know anything about sieges in ancient times, but when an army sieged a city, they would surround the city, but they wouldn't take over the city immediately. They would wait and choke the city off from its supplies. And so mothers and children and sisters and brothers and families and fathers, they would starve to death. The city would turn on itself. There were even instances, if you read Lamentations chapter 2, crazy things would happen when people were sieged. Uh, uh, they would start eating their dead at a certain time. Armies would wait until the city would be choked out. And then the armies would rush in and ravage that sieged city. Jerusalem had been sieged and thousands of people were led away naked and in chains. During the siege, women were raped. Children were literally trampled to death by soldiers. And families were torn apart. A kind of hell on earth that most of us Americans know nothing about. This is why they cried. This is why they were angry. This is why they mourned and lament because there was such a big difference between where they used to be in Zion and where they currently were in Babylon. You see, in Zion, in Zion, God's people dwelt in the midst of God's presence. But in Babylon, they found themselves in the presence of their enemies. And in case you were wondering, Jerusalem and Zion are geographically the same place. But Zion carries theologically so much greater understanding. The idea of Zion came with a theological imagery of beauty. In Zion, God's presence signified God's blessing. It was a place of safety, a place of security, and a place of refuge. And get this, even though there were no rivers, in Jerusalem, Zion was described as an immovable city with rivers flowing out of it to water the land. But by the waters of Babylon, God's people had been uprooted and their worship had been mocked by their tormentors. Please hear me out. Sooner or later, we're all going to find ourselves in a foreign land. Sooner or later, we are all going to find ourselves in a foreign land. Listen, uh, some of you might not know this story, but in 2018, well, I'll go back a little bit further. My wife and I, we got married. And within a couple of months of our marriage, we had decided that we were going to start uh, we wanted children right away, and uh, we wanted a family, and so we were going to start early. We weren't going to wait, and so we tried, and we got so excited because we had gotten pregnant, and as many of you may know, my wife had a miscarriage, and it was such a 
bizarre time if there's anybody out, out there watching. And I know there's some of you that might have been watching that have had a miscarriage before. You truly understand how just dark that place can be. Um, and it was a broken moment for our family, but God saw us through. And it was really beautiful because only a couple of months later, we got pregnant with my son, Philip. And I know most of you know P3. He has been such a joy. He's such a gift to us all. And after having Philip and for a couple of years, we decided to try again. And on Easter 2018, so just a few years ago, uh, about a month before that, we found out that Jamila was pregnant. And we were overjoyed. And so we went out and we bought my son a t-shirt. And on his little shirt, it said, uh, Big Brother. And we thought, you know what? Uh, we're going to wait a little bit before we announce it to everybody. But we wanted to announce it to my family first. And so we waited a month. And uh, we felt like it was time. So on Easter Sunday, 2018, after we preached a beautiful Easter sermon... Uh, we went back to my family's house, and we put the shirt on P, and we literally were just chilling. So there's probably, my family's pretty big, so my immediate family. So there's about 20 of us in one house running around eating. And so Philip is there with his shirt, and he, my son doesn't even know what it's, what's happening with his shirt on. And uh, finally, sitting on the couch, it was my niece that kind of like gave it a double look. and was like, wait, wait. And, you know, it's really funny because then everyone starts to pick up, and the family's looking, and everyone's wondering. And all of a sudden, just a roar in our household. Uh, we were pregnant, and we were about to have another baby. What joy. What joy. And the family erupted and my wife and I went home worshiping God that day, beautiful Easter Sunday. And we finally got to tell our family about the new child that we would have. About another month later, it was a Sunday. Um, I was preaching a sermon. In fact, I was preaching a sermon on the woman with the issue of blood, I'll never forget. And I was just talking about how, what happens when life throws things at you. And uh, after I was preaching, I actually had a meeting that I was getting ready to go into. And somebody came up to me and said, hey, we have to take Jamila to the doctors. And I was like, wait, what? We have to take her to the doctors. She's bleeding. And a lot of things went through my mind there, but I, I had to go into a meeting. And they took her to the doctors. I caught up with Jamila right afterwards. And we found out that we miscarried. And... You know, I've learned something in this season. I know there are some people watching right now, you've had a miscarriage and it's crushed you. And I know also there are some married couples out there, you've been trying to have a baby and you're just getting so frustrated, so sad because you see everybody else having their children and you just can't. I've actually learned during our miscarriage season never to ask a young couple, hey, when are you gonna have yours? Like a long time ago, that was the thing you used to say to the married couples, like, hey, when are you gonna have yours? But I've learned that there's such a silent pain in that question. You see, sooner or later, we're all going to find ourselves in a foreign land. My, my wife found herself in a foreign land and darkness crept in. And, and, and I began to see myself in that place and I, I couldn't help my wife. And we had pictured things and planned things, but life has a way of taking everything that you planned and turning it upside down. It's what is that foreign land? It's that unplanned place you never expected to be in. 
This was not how you saw life going. It's a place where the thief comes to steal your joy and disrupt the peace of your mind. It's a place, right? It's definitely not Zion because in Zion, I felt the presence of the Lord. But in the foreign land, in the foreign land, all I can feel is the presence of anger, fear, sadness, worry, anxiety, frustration, doubt, anger, even with God. Where is this place? It doesn't have to be physical. It's an unexpected diagnosis from the doctor. It's a failed relationship, a divorce ending in heartbreak. It's an untimely death of someone that you absolutely loved. It's a deep pain from a trauma or injustice that refuses to heal. It's depression. It's suicide. It's amazing just how quickly life can take you captive and bring you into a foreign land. And for those of you, for those of you who have been there, or for those of you who are there right now, this is going to make so much sense. If you find yourself in this broken place, will you lean in right now and listen? This is going to make so much sense. Notice, notice what the enemy targets in that place. Notice what the enemy attacks in that foreign land. What does he target? What does he attack? He attacks your song. Listen to the Babylonians mock the children of God in the foreign land. They say this in verse 3, sing to us one of those happy songs. Sing to us one of your songs of Zion. In other words, we've laid waste to you. Now tell us how good your God is again. We stole from you and enslaved you. Now tell us about how faithful your God is. We've turned your world upside down and everything is all bad. Now tell us about his goodness. You see, these tormenting words from the enemies, mockery, bring us to a profoundly important question in the text. In fact, this is the most, one of the most profound questions that you'll see in Scripture. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How do I sing and mean it when life has been so cruel? How do I worship and and smile when there's no joy inside of me? I can barely show up. How can I raise my hands? I can barely come to the house of God. How can I lift my hands up and my head up in praise? Listen, listen, please listen. There are three observations from the psalmist's response to being in a foreign land that I believe will be helpful for us to apply today. Listen, if you're going through it, hear me out. And if you're not going through a foreign land, hear me out so that you can help somebody and understand somebody who is there. Three observations. Number one, recognize the enemy's tactics in that place. You see, when you're in a foreign land, the enemy comes and attacks you. The psalmist recognized the enemy. The psalmist refused to sing on command because the psalmist recognized that this was the enemy's way of taunting him and taunting his God. My worship is not anyone else's entertainment. Recognize the enemy's tactic. Number two, this is so important. Just because you're not singing right now 
doesn't mean that you won't sing later. Watch. In the psalm, the psalmist, he hung up his lyre. The scripture says, in the, by the waters of Babylon, we wept. And the, the psalmist took his lyre, his harp, and said, look, I'm not going to play right now. But he didn't destroy the lyre. He hung the lyre up, which means at some point he knew that he would grab the lyre off and he would play it again. But he did not destroy it. He only hung it up. He knew there would come a day when he would pick it back up. He'd pick his instrument up. He would write his song again. He would sing and he would play. But now was not the time. And I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to take the liberty to illustrate these two points. Have you ever found yourself in a foreign place? In a dark place? And everywhere you went, it seemed like everyone's goal was to make you feel good, right? You ever found yourself living in a dark season, a dark time, and everywhere you go, it just felt like people wanted to make you feel better. And so you don't even want to go anywhere because you don't want anyone to try to make you speed past your process, right? Even well-meaning people, right? Even well-meaning people, excuse me, inside of the church using scripture to try and move you on faster than you're ready to go, right? God's got you. Hey, bro, it's going to be all right. God's with you, right? You're going to be fine, just trust in the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength, right? And don't get me wrong, those scriptures are good and true and beautiful words. They're, they're real and they're true, but they're, they don't feel good to somebody who's in a foreign land and feels like they are tools to try and rush them past their pain. They just cause more grief and more harm. I'm actually reminded of the prophet Jeremiah he calls out ministers. The prophet Jeremiah calls out ministers of his time because they're applying, ready? Superficial healing to people who are hurting. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, the prophet says, they have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Finally, the third observation is this. And this is going to be so key. This is going to be so freeing to hear from many of you. If you're in a foreign land, listen to me right now. Wherever you're at, hear me out. This is going to be so freeing. Write this down if you have to. In a foreign land, many times faithfulness to God looks more like tears of lament than songs of joy. Let me say that again. In a foreign land, many times faithfulness to God looks more like tears of lament than songs of joy. Sometimes you are honoring God when it's, you're not being okay. It is okay not to be okay. I've seen this happen several times, and, and I wish it could be totally different, but, but I know why. I've seen people experience tragedy in their lives. And they finally, they suddenly find themselves in a foreign land. And then I see the people of God and the church of Christ, right? And it becomes the last place that they want to be. Have you ever been hurt by a deep tragedy? And you don't want to go to church. 
Like that's the, you, the last place you want to be is go to church. You don't want anyone to ask you, uh, are you okay? Right? That's the last thing that you want. And, and so here you are, experience brokenness. You're in the darkness. You're in the darkest place you've ever been. And the last place you want to go to is to the church, be with the people of God. And it grieves me. And, and I wonder why. I feel like that's the best place to be in these broken times. And I think to myself, the house of the Lord should be a place of refuge. The people of God should, should be a people of comfort. But then I remember why. We don't like these Psalms. We don't like Psalms 137. We, we don't read them out loud. We, we, we erase them out of our liturgy. We don't preach them like the Anglican church in the 80s. We hide them, deny them. We sanitize them. We don't have room in our theology for people to be angry or sad. We wonder why people run from the house of God and not into it in times of despair. We've devalued our tears and conditioned our minds to see prolonged seasons of lament as acts of doubt and unbelief. And so we convince people, if you're not okay, you must be spiritually immature. We convince people, if you're not moving on and jumping and full of joy, there must be some doubt inside of you. Can I just say this right now? If you are in a season of weeping and tears and it's going longer than expected, it does not mean you are spiritually immature. Sometimes being faithful in seasons of pain to God look more like tears of lament than they do songs of joy. So we avoid, we put on our masks, we keep our facade up because we don't want anyone to know we're not okay. We're scared to be honest and connects. We're scared to lift our hands. We're scared to break and cry at church. Because we're not free to not be okay. And I, I want to conclude with this. Many of us during this time have been glued to the TV, <laughs> been glued to the news, social media, because of all the things that we have been facing and seeing, and especially the last month or so, particularly with police brutality, social unrest, people protesting in the streets, rioting going on. And as a pastor, I, I've been asked as someone who has led a church in a protest, that was very controversial, by the way, for a church to lead a protest was very controversial. But as a pastor, people have approached me and they asked, hey, since you led a protest, pastor, do you condone the rioting? And you know, the simple answer to that question was, no, of course I don't condone rioting. But as a pastor, I do take some responsibility. And we may not like this, but hear me out. As a church, if we deprive people of righteously expressing their anger and pain, if we sanitize these psalms and erase anguish and lament from our corporate vocabulary, then in some way we would have permitted more ungodly ways of responding to suffering and sadness. Let me hear it, church. If we do not have a theology, if we do not create room in our theology for people to spend time broken in tears, if we do not create room in our theology for people to be in seasons of anger, 
then we're going to rob people of the godly way for them, the righteous way for them to deal with those moments. And guess what happens? That sorrow, that anguish, and that pain is going to come out in an unrighteous way. Sure, shame on them, but shame on us for trying to preach people past their pain. Before we move someone on too quickly from their right to sorrow, we should probably go back and read this psalm. And before we ridicule people's rights to cry out against injustice, we might want to go back and reread this psalm. I want to leave you with a quote from St. Augustine, a church father, and then I want to pray. He said this, lament for things of the present, sing of what is to come in the future, pray about what already is, sing about what you hope for. One more time, lament for things of the present, sing of what is to come in the future, pray about what already is, Sing about what you hope for. I want to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be broken. You might be in darkness. You might be in a season of anguish and pain. You might find yourself in a foreign land right now. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to lament. And it's okay to stay there and allow the Lord to meet you in your pain. But I want to also let you know that one day, the hope, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, one day, because of what Christ has done on the cross, we look forward to one day. It may not be right now, but there is going to be a day in the future where all things are going to be made new. And even though this earth is full of suffering and pain, Jesus has redeemed us. And we will be with him someday soon. Until then, it's okay not to be okay. Father, pray for everyone who is hearing my voice right now. I pray for everyone who's weeping, everyone who has all of a sudden found themselves in a foreign land. God, I pray that they would feel a love, an encouragement, and really a grace, not to speed out of it. I I pray that they would feel a grace from you right now to stay in it and know that you are there with them too. Lord, may our pastors, our counselors, our churches, and our members learn that sometimes we are being faithful to God in seasons of pain when we cry tears of lament before we sing songs of joy. Lord, I love you. I thank you for everything that you've been teaching me in this season. And I give you all honor and all glory. In Jesus' name. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.